0: I'm just going to get right into it. I'm doing a series of interviews from folks talking really about how COVID is an opportunity to kind of reimagine a different way of being. I think there's been a lot of talk about what we've lost. And so I kind of want to focus on what we've gained and also that these gems don't, these insights don't get lost because it's not going anywhere. And I'm particularly focusing on chosen family and queer folks who are really thinking about that because I think that we have the ability to radically reimagine how things should be anyway, just by how we exist in the world as folks who don't operate in binary ways of understanding. And so that's when I found you. And so thank you so much for um, agreeing to talk with me today. Great. Okay. I'd like to start by inviting you to close your eyes and think back to March 13th, 2020. What were you Mm -hmm. thinking or feeling or doing those first few days? Weeks and months of quarantine. How were you making meaning and spending your time in the beginning?
1: I open my eyes, or should I keep them
0: closed? Sure. <laughs> it's totally up to you. Either way,
1: I, I, I'll, I'll open them because I, I had I had the very specific vision of, of of what was happening at that moment. I was in a state of heightened vigilance. I guess is the best word to describe it. it sort of reminded me of times in my life when I've had a very sudden loss. Like, for example, I lost uh, one of my best friends very suddenly to an accident, you know, and my instinct at that moment, as it was at the beginning of lockdown, was to propel myself to action, to think about what I could do to channel that anxiety, to channel that fear about the unknown, uh, you know, to channel that immediate sense of loss with like what this opportunity might be, I suppose, you know, but, but not so much in the more along the lines of how can I use action to kind of cope with this sense of, of loss. And so, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, My biggest concern was around loss of community. I mean, you mentioned queer chosen family, like that is very, very central to my life as an adult has been to, you know, create and construct this very highly intentional chosen family in San Francisco. And as part of like a a pretty coherent, like queer community here. In the bay area and just feeling immediately like how are we going to have community when they're saying we can't leave our house and and also what does it mean for the people who work in those positions to create community so actually my very first act within like the first weekend of quarantine was to gather some community leaders in san francisco virtually via zoom to talk about what we could do potentially for queer nightlife workers. Um, You know, the kind of nightlife has often, has very long, you know, been a kind of context in which queer people find that refuge, that kind of sense of belonging, at least it's like an initial, you know, for better or worse, like a lot of our kind of community settings have kind of centered on nightlife context. And so I was actually very concerned about the loss of those settings and then then immediately concerned about what about the workers in those settings i mean suddenly you know i was in a situation where i could work from home and i knew other people who could work from home but they weren't going to be able to work from home so and this was before we even knew there was going to be like unemployment you know we just didn't know what was happening we we also probably only thought it was going to be like a month or something right so it, it wasn't even like this um it was just a different you know experience so so you know I gathered together this group with a kind of diverse skill set, you know, even more impressively diverse than I realized. And we launched a fund actually to, to support queer nightlife workers <laughs> ended up actually raising hundreds of thousands of dollars over, over the course of a year. But I mean, that certainly was not what we were. Our more immediate concern was also about like providing a way to gather on So we, you know, we would do like we set up these like Zoom dance parties and we called them the quarantine to be like a a Sunday tea dance, you know, and and it turned out, you know, there were a lot of queer groups doing similar kinds of things. But yeah, so I guess, you know, my response was to leap into action. And that's often what I've done when I've faced um, significant trauma or loss or challenge.
0: Great. Thank you for that. And what, if anything, did you learn about yourself? in terms of like your place or your purpose or what really matters to you over the past 19 months? And are any of these insights or lessons or transformations that you've gained as a result of this pandemic, something that you're looking to bring into 2022? Well, I mean, I,
1: th- I think it affirmed for me, it, I, I think the experience was mostly affirmative in the sense of affirming my capacity for resilience and affirming the bonds of the queer chosen family that I had created because, you know, we effectively became each other's pods and that, and we, we really cultivated like a, yeah, just like a real kind of um, deep intimacy during that period that, you know, was really focused. And then when we sort of experienced the reopening, I mean, I think that um, that's, sense of success and resilience and the support that I had in order to achieve it, um, has really helped to propel me towards, you know, even more growth, particularly in the domain of like relationships, you know, like, um, and kind of new connections, you know, I have a whole new level of appreciation for those because we couldn't have them for, or it was so challenging to have them. And they were so constrained during the pandemic. So So I'm really excited to, yeah, go into 2022 with even more of an appreciation for the opportunity to be with people, to be social, to be in connection, to be in relationship. Well, I mean, I think also the pandemic and the lockdown period in particular did provide me with the opportunity to develop parts of myself that I... I wasn't really actively developing. I mean, one of, one key one being my introvert side. I mean, you know, I was like super extroverted before the pandemic. And and I really welcomed the opportunity, you know, to, to spend a lot more time alone, to, to spend a lot more time in nature rather than in like urban social settings and things like that. And so I am definitely taking those things I learned about myself into the next year and trying to continue to cultivate them.
0: Nice, Can you think of any one significant moment or um, insight from the the past nineteen months that really had an impact on you, or was it just kind of a gradual process of this like acceptance and thinking about relationships and and relating and?
1: I think it was just a, a sort of gradual process. I mean I do think though may, maybe there was a moment the re kind of reopening in San Francisco just happened to kind of coincide with pride and so there was this there was this kind of great opportunity there i think to to be back in community again together and to I mean, I distinctly remember having this feeling of appreciation at that moment, right? That you just of the things that we just took for granted before. I mean, so and then saying to myself, like, I'm going, I'm going to appreciate this, you know, I've got that intention. I will always appreciate this going
0: forward. Did you have any losses over the past 19 months? And did you notice any trends, like, especially in terms of your expertise, right? Because you are like a gender and sexuality identity an intimate relationships sociologist, yes? And so thinking about that, like what kinds of things were lost during this time and maybe still have remnants of that still occurring since we're not out of it. And now we have the Omicron and all of those things. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think um, what I noticed was, I noticed this during, certainly during the lockdown, is this kind of fragmentation of culture, this kind of fragmentation of community? So it really was clear that people were living different pandemics. And so I think what was really lost for me, I mean, of course, before the pandemic, it's not like there was some uniform, you know, culture that, that everyone was participating in, whether queer or not queer. But I think a, a sense of, of a unified understanding of reality. <laughs> was was actually lost during the pandemic and, and i mean that even among queer folks you know for a while i you know i think I, for a while i felt like oh okay well you know like um, my my people or my tribe all get it you know but then it became clear that oh no no wait there's people doing you know very unsafe kind of foolish things um and not thinking about the collective or the common good and that was really disappointing to me and then you know as we, as we had experienced the reopening, again, at least in San Francisco around pride this summer here, uh, there was a real sense of possibility for a renewed kind of unity, I think, of experience or a more unified experience again, of like coming out together from this period, um, feeling kind of safe or safer, thanks to the vaccines, and then immediately the Delta variant. I mean, it was like immediate, it was like within a few weeks of the reopening, suddenly there were all these breakthrough cases, um, many of which were clustered in the queer community. So that was really hard. And I think that, you know, what I've noticed since then is that that possibility for a return to something a little more unified or common in terms of experience and reality has kind of given way again to something that feels very unclear in terms, or just or just very like i think everyone i think people are living in their own bubbles right now and they're also making you know informed decisions about relative risk um that i think are you know appropriate and i don't have any judgment you know about that at all and i but i think that what's happening is at the more kind of cultural or sociological level, which you suggest is is that we see more and more fragmentation of experience. And with that fragmentation of experience comes a fragmentation of community. And so there's lots of different dividing lines on which that might happen. I think with COVID, a lot of it has to do with people who have children and people don't, right? Because if you have children who can't get vaccinated, I, at least I've noticed that this trend of like you're going to be especially risk averse versus people who don't have children and feel like well they are vaccinated you know and feel like okay I'm, I'm willing to risk a certain possible kind of uh, mild experience breakthrough infection in order to be back with community right like so those are the kinds of dilemmas or questions that people are facing and I think that the result is that we don't have the kind of unified experience of the post uh, lockdown period that I was hoping we would have, you know, I was kind of hoping we'd have this grand reopening and most people would be vaccinated and, you know, the pandemic would just kind of, the COVID would just kind of slide down and, you know, it just didn't, so.
0: For sure. And also kind of related to that, were there any gifts or silver linings that you received, right, as this result of like, um, the power of the pause and what I'm calling it or kind of like new perspectives, from slowing down and being less distracted by all the things that we kept ourselves busy with. Like I heard on this podcast the other day that someone said, well, I broke up with busy. Like we're not friends anymore. Oh, nice, nice. So I really liked that metaphor, but I'm just wondering for you, any kind of either skills or um, insights for yourself that were kind of gifts or silver linings that maybe you would have eventually gotten to, or maybe never because of being so busy or, or just as a result of slowing down. Hmm. I'm thinking like in particular with your article about making how we made meaning and then Mm -hmm. stayed Mm -hmm. sane. And also you said something about becoming more authentic. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think the gift of time with oneself provides a context for a, a certain level of exploration, self-exploration, that can, that can potentially result in an uptick. Of, of authenticity for people, you know. So if people were kind of holding certain things in, and you know, kind of like the people were on a certain trajectory with their life story, I think that's the best way of describing it. And and the story, you know, we were in the driver's seat writing it. I mean, that was the feeling. And then the pandemic came along, and, and we were knocked out of the driver's seat. And so then the question is how are we able to reclaim a sense of agency How are we able to reclaim authorship of that life story and i think it is through making certain decisions based on our own self-discovery intentional decisions about what we want our story to look like now now that we know that we don't have you know unlimited power to write that story you know what can we do within it and i think like seizing opportunities to be more and more authentic whether that is like you know coming out if someone hasn't come out, you know, in, in, ter- in my own case, it, for me, it's actually been more around around kind of uh, being more elaborate in like the, the labels that I use to describe my gender and sexual identity, you know, it just, it gave me, I mean, these are things I've studied for a while, but you know, um, never necessarily thought like, you know, how do they all, how do they relate to me in a way, um, that because I just, you know, I was someone who the vocabulary didn't exist, right? In the, in the 90s, we didn't talk about things like demisexual, for example, which is definitely a, a term that I came to identify with during the pandemic, or also queer. I mean, for a while, I was identifying as queer to kind of signal, you know, a certain kind of political and, and, and you know, in, inclusionary kind of stance. But, you know, for me, a, a big part of that self reflection process during the pandemic was to reclaim aspects of my bisexual identity that I had kind of, you know, set aside in those like really binary years of the 90s when I was coming out. And so so for me, like the, the label queer is more appropriate because I just realized like I'm attracted to multiple genders, you know? So I, I, yes, I have this long standing, you know, um, history of with the, with the sort of gay men's community, but, it doesn't necessarily mean that these other labels, these other terms aren't perhaps more appropriate to me as I understand myself better now. And I, I, I think I was like in that space before the pandemic, but then the pandemic was like, okay, now you actually have the time to slow down, to be really intentional, to recognize uh, and, and to reclaim authorship in, in my story in that way, you know, and that's very empowering. So I think that's, that's a gift for those that, that were able to seize it. Um, to to be able to step back and say like okay, I've been knocked out of the driver's seat of writing my life story. How can I reclaim authorship? How can I do it in a way that um, that that feels authentic? And and so for me, like exploring more of that language of my own feelings around gender and sexuality was a privilege, you know.
0: For sure. And um, so besides, like a. Um, redefining, can you tell me more about your particular narrative of like how, like if you're in the driver's seat and we continue this metaphor, like where are you driving to or what's your destination? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like how's the style of the trip? The road Yeah.
1: Well, and actually it's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, I, I think that getting back in the driver's seat doesn't mean, I mean, I think one thing we learned from getting knocked out of the driver's seat is that we don't necessarily control the destination, the ultimate destination, you know, but we do have our hands on the wheel, so to speak. Right. So, 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 so we might be able to control, yeah, to really stick with the metaphor here, just like those little turns, those twists and turns we can take. Yeah. But, but I, so I think having a certain degree of humility about the power of our authorship is also important, and just recognizing, like, well, within the constraints of of that ability to author our life story, because we can't control all the conditions, you know, in the same way that I also couldn't control the fact that I was born in a particular historical moment in which thinking around male sexuality was extraordinarily binary, you know? But but through the stories we write, w- we can change the culture, I think. And so, like, that's that's a decision to make, you know? about one's own life story is like you know yes i, I may not have complete control over, over where it goes or you know when it ends and, and that sort of thing but the little choices along the way um can can play a big role not just in our own feelings of authenticity but the ability of others to express themselves
0: awesome and related to that how does your queer identity inform your work and your perspective
1: Well, I think that for one thing, I've become, you know, somewhat allergic to, to this notion of kind of aggregating or lumping in anyone who holds any kind of minoritized gender or sexual identity into some single group, you know, uh, with the LGBTQ uncomfortable plus sign, you know? So I think that for me, it's really made me want to kind of focus on issues of diversity and heterogeneity among those who hold minoritized identities and to have that be the focus in its own right instead of like kind of trying to focus on what might be shared across uh, all members of, of, of that like rather large community but i think it's also made me think about in this in this way that i think is very true to the original definition, conceptualization of queer, to really think about like limitless possibility, because that's what my own experience of coming to explore the labels that best suit me and to realize like there's all these labels, it's not just this one, you know, is that I realized like, oh, I mean, this is the, these are ideas about, you know, fluidity and, and, and kind of limitless possibility around queerness, Um, that that part of what queerness I think prescribes is like, uh, a constant commitment to, to challenging what's expected, what's normative, you know, and so so in that way, I guess the pandemic like really invited everyone's life course to become queer in some way now that I'm thinking about it, you know, just I mean, if we think really broadly about about queer about queerness and queer theory, being queer and, and coming to that kind of language. Um, has really enhanced my commitment to, to thinking about diversity and heterogeneity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the thing for me is the, the flexibility and the fluidity of the unknown, right? So if you're in a, some sort of marginalized space and you're navigating these like, you know, um, normative spaces, right? That they were designed to exclude or at least weren't even thinking about your your life or your experience, right? And how that does that. And then you have something like a global pandemic and a global shutdown for at least two weeks for the most part, right? And except for essential workers. And then what do you do do about that? And like, we know this place, right? When you're non-binary or you're queer or whatever, like you know this place already. And it's like remembering, you know, this place and then saying, watching all these people Who've never even thought of that experience? That's
1: a great. point, Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I think it really again kind of speaks to some of the some of the privilege of 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 being queer and already having had the opportunity to kind of see the ways in which our life stories, you know, were taken off the path so to speak that that they were supposed to be on you know i mean that's that's the whole challenge of kind of coming out i think is that people are like wait a second this isn't the life story that i thought i was supposed to be telling and so yeah so in a way that there's a privilege to that that i think enhances our resilience
0: Yeah, I think there's a wisdom too gained from that resiliency in terms of that struggle of navigating that. Like, this is nothing new for us. This is not so shocking. Right. It's it's familiar in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I like that.
0: So, um, so my last question, because I know we're running out of time too, is: um, Do you have any words of wisdom or calls to action that you would like to leave our listeners with, especially in terms of how to transform? Social spaces or places or relationships, supporting strong relationships into like healing or more just or more flexible or fluid ways of being, kind of leaving it super broad and wide open, whatever you're thinking.
1: I mean, I think that adopting, you know, not just a kind of growth and opportunity mindset, which, you know, we know is really helpful and beneficial, but also. Adopting a mindset in which we, including all all of us in queer communities, you know, really think and recognize issues of like power and history uh, within our communities. And so I mean, to me, it's like until people are really able to think about their own identities in those critical ways you know we can't do the the necessary kind of coalition work that's required i think to advance the the broader cause of sexual and gender diversity i don't know if that if that answers your question but you know it's something that i've been thinking about a lot lately especially diving into you know like anti racism work and kind of really you know, thinking about yeah, just the kind of dominance of whiteness in a lot of queer communities, and thinking about how that can be addressed. So yeah, anyway, that that's it's very much on my mind.
0: For sure, I think it's on a lot of people's minds. I think the you know the emperor's clothes like lost its clothes, right? COVID just made everything naked yep. and super yep. aware of what's happening, and so right supremacy. Like, and colonialism, right? And like, it just was barren and bare and there for everyone to see. And sure. so thinking about, I think what I'm also hearing you say is that there's this, this call to reflect on privilege yeah. and place in terms of your, the historical legacy of your, of your like ancestry and like where you're coming from and, and how that interacts with the power and the way it, the dynamics play out in society. Right. And and I think that a lot of the mainstream nonprofits who have a lot of lobby and power and money are run by white folks. And like cis white men, they may be gay, but you know what I mean? Like, that's that's we still live in a patriarchy. We still live in a white supremacy culture. We still live in this colonialist place that denies like the indigenous peoples who are still here, that it's their they're stolen lands that we're living on that we're guests on and we're not leaving it better than when we found it. Right. We're not being good guests. So I think there's a lot in that. um,
1: and I think the uh, challenge, like I was alluding to is while I feel like I've come to a greater appreciation and the pandemic has helped in terms of recognizing the ongoing work that's necessary to address, you know, uh white supremacy and its legacies, I feel like there are different realities playing out there about that. And so what we're lacking, and, and this, this is my not to leave it you in a place of, you know, I don't wanna say despair, that's too strong of a word, but a challenging place is like, you know, how do we address questions of truth and reality in this time? And I don't think the pandemic I mean, you would have thought that a really unified experience of a pandemic might have helped us with that and it didn't. And so um, I guess that's the next challenge. And I'm not someone who, who dis despair social media by any means or, or information. In fact, quite the opposite. I think that um, you know the fact that we have these tools has actually helped a lot of queer people. It has been a positive. So anyway, but so I think that this is this is the call to action for me is very much around like, you know, truth and reconciliation actually um, in, in the United States. Truth and reconciliation within queer communities. Um, how can we work towards it while also um, kind of uh, supporting people and just in 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 being authentic, promoting their well-being. So, all right, well, I guess I should leave it at that. We can oh, go on. Thank
0: you again so much. That reminds me of TRHT, right? Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation that's been happening around the country. Yeah. It gives me hope that that may be the direction, but I super appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I super appreciate you. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Okay, you too. care.